Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does its better. And welcome to part two of this week's Oscar season clash. So, on Monday, we decided if you could trust us to deliver the scares as well as dissect the notion of privilege. But today, our best picture winner enters the arena as privilege and wealth get the incisive Bong Joon-ho treatment in 2019's Parasite. Jessica, we don't I'm deadly serious. We'll have a winner at the end of this show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Putters. Right, we'll get drunk in the daytime. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Very quickly, as I always do at the top of the second episode every week, is ask you to please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. And if you have the time, a rating and review would be immaculate. And if you write a review, you might hear it read out by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a little bit like this. Andy Aries writes, absolutely cracking podcast. Something to look forward to on my daily commute. Always good banter, all in good fun, and some quite surprising winners. Ooh. So yes, a lovely, a lovely um, review. Uh, re-surprising winners. I'm guessing Andy's referring to the episodes where Alex and Vicky went against me. <laughs> I think he's talking about Deep Impact beating Armageddon. I think that's always what it is. A terrible film, though, isn't it? Armageddon. Yeah, it's really <laughs> terrible. But it's it's still better than Deep Impact. Yeah, yeah. Good. Not actually that great a review because it's made the atmosphere in the studio very tense now, Andy. <laughs> that was me that did that, not Andy. Yeah, it was. Right then, part two of Us versus Parasite. My choices because these two films have almost universal acclaim, 93% and 98% respectively on Rotten Tomatoes and two films that I didn't immediately love as much as everyone else when I saw them for the first time. So again, this is my second watch of both films. My second watch, indeed, of Parasite. Monday, Victoria talked about Us, which means Chris has been dwelling in his basement all week, ready to talk us through parasites. Chris takes on a journey. A parasite is an organism that attaches itself to a host and then feeds off that host. Kind of like what Alex and Vicky do to me every week on Clash of the Titles. But this parasite concerns a likeable family living in a squalid basement and being pissed on from above. But they are nothing if not opportunistic, and when Sun Ki Woo is presented with the chance to tutor a rich high school student, he takes the job and quickly persuades the family to employ his sister as their troubled son's art teacher. She in turn uses dirty tricks to get the family's driver sacked and replaced by their father, and to complete the set, they oust the family's housekeeper and install their mother in the role. 
so the con is on. But then proceedings take a dark turn thanks to a discovery in their employer's basement before ending in a bloodbath that turns this comedy into full-on horror. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Parasite. What's interesting about that is that I intentionally steered away from calling Chris a parasite. The numerous times <laughs> I had the opportunity to in my drifts, and I was like, that's too much. This is too strong. This isn't true. Right. I'm going to feed off you. Mm. A little bit. I would. Um, <laughs> I would, though. If Chris could produce milk, I would suckle on him. Have that image in your mind forever. Okay. Jesus. So I know you've both seen Parasite before uh, this viewing. So, uh, Vicky, talk us through. I tried to go and see it at the cinema when just when it came out and I'd booked the wrong sort of ticket. This is such an interesting story. So they wouldn't let me in. So then I had an argument and they tried to offer me bombshell instead. And I was like, no. And then I'd got babysitters and we, I was out with Mark. And I was like, you, you're you ruining that like, one night out. So then they had to give me a free ticket because I made such a fuss. And I was like, well, I'm about to spend £15 on pick and mix. And yeah, I can't come. It was really embarrassing. Anyway, in the end, that cinema chain went bust. So they kind of had the last laugh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Karma. Ridiculous. Um, how would you book the wrong ticket? Oh, God, it's so dull. I booked like this VIP ticket, but I didn't have the right pass. But I didn't know that. I just booked it without looking. Mm. So that was what I was shouting. Them. I was like, but the system let me book it. And he's like, but you can't come in. And I was like, but my seat is there and it's empty let me in no and then he gave me this free ticket that is bollocks there was an empty seat that you could have sat in that they wouldn't let you sit in because you're not a VIP yeah wouldn't it have been helpful if I'd been there (laughs) you you might not recognise that scenario because you claim it's never happened to you but that's what happens to normal people broken Britain (laughs) no no point of reference (laughs) Alex yeah I, you would have seen this in your build-up to the Oscars. That's right, yeah, coverage. I did. I did. I watched it with my mum in Leeds, and I just, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I've tried to work it out. I think it was it was partly not my mum's fault, but I wasn't in a great mood uh, when I watched it. And also her TV setup in her front room at that point, which I have fixed for her, wasn't great. The angle, she sits on the sofa at one side, and I sit by the fire, because I don't have a fire in my flat. So I'm like, oh, a fire, I'll sit by the fire. And the TV sort of has to... The angle is sort of, because we both are at different corners of the room watching the TV, the TV's facing no one in the middle of the room, and I just don't think the angle was very good for me. So mood and angle meant I didn't quite enjoy this. Quick question. Have you bought your mum a 3D telly with your Oscars money? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a 3D telly he didn't want. Yeah. What happened to that? She has my old 3D telly. <laughs> I didn't give her the glasses, though. She wouldn't use 3D. No, I did. I bought her a telly recently, which is why now when I go to Leeds, I uh, I can watch great movies. What uh, a good son you well, are! You should watch the black and white cut of Parasite. Mm. I tried to get her a curved TV because I have a curved TV. They've stopped making those curved TVs. The Samsung curved TVs. You're just buying up all the shit technology. <laughs> no one wants. Now, if you want it to become obsolete, yeah. give Alex one. <laughs> yeah, I've got about 200 Betamax in my basement. <laughs> Now, a curved TV, though, is a really good thing. Have you got a curved TV? No. I can't afford one, Alex. No. Anyone who, any of our our dear Clash Potters who have a curved TV, they literally are going, he he knows what he's talking about. A curved TV makes you feel like you're in an amphitheatre, like a a little mini IMAX. So why did they stop making them then? Because people are stupid. (laughs) Okay. People are stupid and need to come to me and I'll tell them what to make. (laughs) Well, I saw this at the Toronto Film Festival... Uh, which is when I was off for a couple of weeks, missed you guys, but came back with a Ryan Johnson interview so I didn't return empty-handed. Correct. Um, like with us, I had high expectations uh, because Bong is one of my favourite all-time directors. Mm. Uh, and I won't say what I thought, but if you want to know before the end of this podcast, you can check out my review on IGN.com. <laughs> Are you promoting a company you no longer work for? I'm a freelancer. Right, okay. That was freelance work. Um, so let's do a little bit of background on Parasite. Um, there's not a huge amount of background about the actual film, so I'll give you a bit of, of context about director Bong. Uh, he grew up in South Korea at a time when the country was shifting from total state control, censorship and regulation to the people having some form of independence. He studied sociology at university, but spent very little time working and pretty much all his time watching films as part of the University Cinema Club and on TV channel American Forces Korean Network which would show R-rated American movies for the soldiers stationed over there. And that's where he devoured films of uh, Sam Peckinpah, Brian De Palma and our old friend John Carpenter. But he didn't know much English, so sometimes he'd be constructing the narratives in his head, which he said was a good training ground for screenwriting. And what I'd say about Parasite is I feel like it could almost be a silent movie. I think you can understand a lot about what's going on in the film if you couldn't understand it like he couldn't understand those American films. Mm. 
very visual storyteller. Um, he came up with the idea for Parasite in 2013 when a friend encouraged him to write a play and he chose to use his time as a tutor for a rich family as source material. He said the kid he was teaching would take him round the house when the parents were out and show off things like the sauna. And he said he found it very uncomfortable, like he was spying on stuff that should be private. Um, Bong said that the thought stuck and grew inside him like a parasite. As did the idea to make the movie about late stage capitalism uh, with all the absurdities and contradictions and inequalities that come with that. But in the meantime, he was making his two American language films, Snowpiercer, about capitalism rendering the world uninhabitable, and Okja, about capitalism as it relates to animal rights. So it's safe to say capitalism was on this man's mind. Snowpiercer's great. I love Snowpiercer. I'd seen that already. I still haven't seen Okja, but I've seen Snowpiercer, and um, I think Snowpiercer is brilliant, and I even watched the TV series Snowpiercer, which is trash, uh, but very enjoyable trash. Very enjoyable trash. I didn't love Snowpiercer. Did you not? No. Oh, I really did. Oh, I just, you know, it ticks a lot of boxes for me. It's yeah. a train constantly cir- circling yeah. a frozen earth in the future and these are the last survivors of humanity on it and they're divided by class and they're fighting their way up train to the front. Great, that ticks a billion yeah. boxes. I'd say Okja is his weakest film, actually. There's good stuff in it, but I just think the humour's a bit broad and I didn't mm. really get it. I will say, hearing about his university days, it's amazing. Parallel lives, me and... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. It didn't <laughs> do him bon any harm. harm. Uh, you just got your mum a 3D telly, so right. you've done all right. Exactly. Out, we, both, we both didn't study. We yep. just watched movies. Uh, he <laughs> then watched The Money Rolling. Best Director Oscar, <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm on ClashPod. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're hosting the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, I like the way you said it. <laughs> uh, but capitalism was also on the world's mind at the time. Um, the, the class and economic inequality was at the forefront of some of the best movies of 2018, 2019. Uh, Japan gave us shoplifters, Korea gave us burning, and America gave us Knives Out, which we've done, and Us, which we've done. So Bong says he doesn't know why that theme seemed to be in the ether at that time. Have either of you got any ideas why we were making films? about that subject in 2019 2018 yeah 2018 2019 there was like six or seven brilliant films about capitalism yeah and he and, and bong said we didn't all get together at the un and decide that we were all going to make these films i was it's about just, to say was they, it not something to do with like the paris accords and it's like we've suddenly realized that we've set fire to the world through capitalism we maybe to, so he, i don't know he just said it was weird doing the press tours <clears> and doing <throat> the oscar stuff with all these films they were all together on the same Sorry, tour what how is knives out about capitalism what have i missed well it's about it's about um inequality in terms of the rich family oh yeah and the, sorry, the mexican yeah i did a podcast about it actually, but um <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> um but anyway capitalism is obviously a big part of this film it also features other themes he returns to time and time again uh the mistrust of authority uh broken or incomplete families being thrust into extreme circumstances um, and The Host, I think, is a very good example of that. If you haven't seen The Host, great film, one of the best monster movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, While well, like lots of his films, it takes great pleasure in breaking genre conventions. So, should we talk about the actual movie? Yeah. Okay. How excited are you? I'm excited. I'm just excited to see you. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's Sorry, start. Chris wasn't giving off some sort of signal there where he was more excited than normally. I just, I know how much you love this movie. And so I'm, You I'm, keep saying that. I mean, I think I texted you from Toronto and said, oh, Parasite's really good. Oh, I'm good. sorry. You, you, whatever. You came back from Toronto and you're like, I've seen the best film I've ever seen, mm-hmm. basically. You were beside yourself. You loved it. Well, yeah. I wasn't going to say that now, but I, I thought it was the best film of the year. That's what I would have said. Yes. Not the best film I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, you did bang on about it quite a lot. <laughs> I did not. You really did. I just said I thought it was the best film of the year, but that's yeah. that's showing my hand now. I remember you saying that uh, I cannot wait to do our end of year show because I'm just going to pick Parasite. <laughs> so we'll be talking a lot about Parasite on the end of the year show. Is everyone cool with that? Everyone cool Parasite? I don't think I said that. You did. The setup. So we start at street level, then panned out into a basement where a family lives underground, surrounded by stink bugs. <laughs> Anyone ever had a stink bug? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know whether that's a, a sort of colloquial term for them or whether they are actually called stink bugs in no real idea. life. I, yeah, they're, they're, stink bugs are a real thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think the idea here is that they only get a few minutes of daylight each day that we can see from out of their little window, which directly contrasts with the world that they are about to enter. Having stolen free Wi-Fi, I could totally relate to wandering mm. around trying to find free Wi-Fi. 
You've literally. I said I was gonna, next. I was going to say stealing Wi-Fi, which uh, which we've all done, so we can immediately relate to this family. <laughs> I used to live in a flat. I've just remembered the flat was the basement of a bigger house. But the way he converted it, he hadn't removed the staircase. So the staircase was in my house, but it went up to nothing. It went to a trap door. So I used to live under a trap door and sit at the top of the stairs to get the Wi-Fi. But it was a really beautiful flat. So it wasn't quite as poor me as I'm making out. But yeah, just used to sit there, stealing my landlord's Wi-Fi. I used to steal water stones. Do you know, I think he stole my trousers once, actually. He was redoing his flat. And the builders were coming and going and they opened the trap door because he didn't want the council to know that he had the basement level and me and Mark were in the basement level. And a pair of trousers went missing. And I went upstairs to be like, this pair of trousers has gone missing. He's like, do you mean these trousers? I was like, yeah, they're my trousers. And he's like, oh, the cleaner must have done it. But you know when you don't believe someone? And I think he nicked my jeans. <laughs> I've just remembered that. Did he have a, a, a daughter or partner of a similar stature to yourself? No. Right. That's weird. It is weird, mm. isn't it? We moved out not long after that, actually. So this trap door gave him access to yeah. your flat at any time? <laughs> yes. There's a Klaus Kinski movie called Crawl Space where he's the landlord and he crawls around the inside of the walls and preys on the young girls who are living in his apartment block. Mm. You should have watched that around before, the same time. Yeah, before we signed the contract. <laughs> There's a Spanish film called Sleep Tight about the same thing. Yeah. Future Clash. Definitely. Crawl Space I've got on VHS. Sleep Tight's amazing. Mm. Okay. Although I do seem to remember Crawl Space is one of those it had a, on the cover of the video box, uh, there was Klaus Kinski looking terrified, but one of his eyes was blood red and it had a swastika where his pupil should have been. And so you're like, oh my God, so this guy's a Nazi <laughs> in the movie. No one in the movie doesn't nah. mention him being a Nazi whatsoever. They've just put on the cover. That'll be scary for people. People love a Nazi horror movie. <laughs> Cheeky. He's not a Nazi in it. <laughs> Cheeky. Uh, right, this family charms us from the start. Um, they're making pizza boxes at Pizza Generation, which is their job, which is an interesting choice for Korea, um, making pizza. I think that's sort of talk, thinking of the American influence and globalisation um, happening at the time. Uh, their road is being defumigated. Uh, there's a bloke pissing at their window. It's all hellish. Hmm. Uh, then a college student called Min shows up, uh, who's a family friend, and he brings them a Scholar's Rock. I hate that rock. Sorry. <laughs> Any thoughts regarding Scholar's Rock? Hate it. Hate it for its symbolism? Yeah, too much symbolism. Right. Don't need it. Um, too much focus on the rock. Don't like it when it gets a callback later. Lose the rock. Yeah, so I think he's making a joke of that. They keep saying it's metaphorical, and it isn't. It isn't metaphorical. No, it is a metaphorical. It's so just I, a rock. Um, these were traditionally gifted and appreciated by scholars, but they're quite old-fashioned concept um, in modern Korean society. So they would find that strange as well. Just because the first time I watched, it, I was like, "Oh, it's a magic rock." <laughs> I thought when jumping ahead, but whatever. When the house is flooded, it's like he's going to get the rock, and it's going to magically make the flood go away. Because it, we've already switched genre, and I thought that Kiwi would lift it up, and then the waters would drain away, and they didn't. So I was like, "Well." You know, you hit on something there. I think maybe this is another reason why I didn't quite enjoy it the first time around, because it does change genre so often. And because I think I like to feel comfortable and in control of what I'm expected to be taking from a film. And that requires you to know what genre of film you're watching. And when it switches quite dramatically, I think more than one point in the film, it jars me. And so I was taken. I was. I don't like being confused by cinema. <laughs> I like to. I like to. I like to like what I like. I like it. I like being taken on a journey, and I purposely didn't find out anything about this film beforehand. And so I was really surprised when there then wasn't a monster in it as well. Mm. And I think um, I've read a few places that people were very much put off by the title being Parasite. And okay. thinking because he has made monster movies in the past that I'm this gonna is going to be a monster movie that I swore I wouldn't do because I was talking to Mark about it and I was like this is what I this is why I didn't enjoy Parasite as much first time as I did second I thought there was vampires in it <laughs> because I saw a meme at some point where the family were crouching and I just I saw it really quickly on my feed and I just didn't pay attention but they looked exactly like vampires so the whole way through I was waiting for one of them to be a vampire and then not so second time round I was like there's no magic rock there's no vampires I'm in but first time I was like so Vicky was waiting for a vampire I was yeah. waiting for a monster and Alex didn't know what to think yeah. <laughs> but that legitimises my feelings that you said that so it's not so stupid actually. but I'm the same as you like I, I, I felt like one of the reasons I wanted to do this on this show is because I wanted to watch it again because because I genuinely feel, I know we were talking about it with us and whether a film, you know, should be a different experience watching it second time intentionally because you have more information or whether the first watch is the more authentic watch <laughs> in terms of how the filmmaker wanted you to see it. 
I was looking forward to it because I knew what was going on and I wasn't going to be second guessing the movie. Exactly. Uh, so Min is offering uh, his friend Opportunity the chance to rise through the ranks. A shot of becoming part of the capitalist structure because he wants him to tutor a high school girl that he's been tutoring while he's studying abroad. So then we're on to the con, the next section. Uh, Min recommends uh, the son and his, <coughs> uh, the sister fakes his qualifications from Oxford University. Um, it's not Oxford University in Korea, by the way. Oh. And they changed that for uh, Western audiences. Um, he, the son sees it as just printing out the document a bit early. That's what he says. Yeah. Which is interesting because apparently that's how, that, that's how con artists frequently think of the world this sort of sense of entitlement that they're due this stuff and it, it enables them to not have guilt over breaking the law. Okay. And so that's how he's convincing himself by saying, oh, well, I would have got it anyway, so it's just happening a bit early. Yeah, and as oh, and sort of like Mr and Mrs Parks kind of deserve it because they are, that's what the film's brilliant at, like they sort of deserve it because they are um, so cosseted that they can't see what's going on in front of them. But they are nice people, which they do say a lot in the film. Like they're mm. nice people; they don't deserve this. Um, that's interesting. That's happened in reverse <coughs> for me because I didn't get a degree from Goldsmiths University, and yet they put me in their prospectus as one of their alumni. So I feel that they actually owe me uh, an honorary degree. What? Really? Mm. That's terrible. God, is it really that bad? <laughs> it's upsetting me. Yeah, I did two years of no studying there. Yeah, I'm owed a degree. I think you did about eighteen months. <laughs> let's be honest. Are they using that to try and attract people to the university? Very funny. Yes, they are. Of course they are. <laughs> they have a media odd. course. And seems obviously odd. it's a great thing. I'm very happy to be in it, but I would also like to, you know, have a degree. <laughs> uh, so the son heads to the house to meet the parks. And this house, uh, as Alex said on Monday, is amazing. Oh, God, I love this house so much. It's the sexiest piece of architecture I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just Oh, it's so nice. So Bong created a virtual model of this amazing modernist abode so he could explore it like a video game, he said, figure out where to hide the, the secrets and, and then he storyboarded accordingly. And interestingly, he storyboards every inch of his films and then only shoots what's in the storyboards, which he says his editors absolutely hate because they've got no coverage. They don't have any options when they're in the edit suite. They just It's just hmm. all completely stage managed from the start. <laughs> no, I, I imagine if you're an editor, that would be infuriating. It's like, so this is where I show my yeah. ability. It's like, put that there? drag, drag, <laughs> drag, drag. We're done. <laughs> Where's my Oscar? <laughs> um, and while we're talking about his directing style, he doesn't do any rehearsals with his actors. Um, as he doesn't want his actors to come in with what he called a trained performance. He'd rather they'd all be spontaneous. That's interesting, because as a family, you'd think you would want them to know each other really well, to bring they come across as a genuine family. Interesting. Well, maybe maybe they, they can spend time together, but he doesn't rehearse say. the lines. Okay, maybe maybe they did it without him knowing. Maybe like we really need to let's go and get together. a pizza. <laughs> we really need to get together. Let's go and let's go and do this. And he walks in and he's like, What's going on in here? And they're like, Nothing, just pizza. <laughs> Uh, so the son gets to the house and the, and the madam insists on sitting in on his lesson uh, with the daughter. Uh, he doesn't teach her as such. Um, he talks about the need for vigour and basically uses psychology to form an emotional bond with her that he's convinces the mother that he's a good teacher. He's flirting with her and he's flirting with Mrs Park. But um, also, he, I don't think he knows how to teach as no, well. No, he doesn't. So he's trying to find ways around it. Yeah, he's saying this kind of stuff isn't important because I don't know it. So yeah. let's... Because he's a con artist. Yeah. But also he's using the experience he has because the one thing he has done, well, he hasn't got to university, he has taken the exam more than once. So he does understand exams. He's failed the exam four times. Right. But he's done the exam four times. So he go. knows exams. Yeah. Uh, so he lands the gig and then we meet uh, the park's son um, who is into Native American culture and they say he lacks discipline and needs to focus. So he immediately says, I know someone for this job. Uh, he suggests his sister and she comes into the house. She, like the brother, sort of starts emotionally manipulating the mother from the off by asking about um, the past trauma that the oh kid might God, have the had. Oh, the look on her face when she said, did something happen in the first year? She's like, <gasps> like, that's so good. And that is so perfect because if a stranger, an outsider could sense something about your child that you'd kind of buried because it was traumatising and they just knew it, all the guilt that you had, everything, you would latch onto that person to be like, help me get over this. But so I have a question. 
she asks that because she's been doing a little bit of research about art therapy. Yeah. It's not that the son has overheard anything at this point and fed it back to her. It's just chance, really, that she, she gets lucky, doesn't she? Yeah. No, she's using the information she's got from her brother and she's come in to be the tutor, mm. but she realises she knows she can make more money by being a therapist rather than a tutor. So she wants to shift <clears throat> what her job will be. And so she starts this painting that the mother's talked to the brother about and that he's given the information back. She says, oh, I see schizophrenia zone in the painting. There's something psychotic coming. And suddenly she's going to get paid more because she's no longer a teacher. She's a therapist. So that must, that was my question, though. It is information that's been passed on to her by the brother. It's not just a shot in the dark that she actually manages to land when she goes. I think something... it's interesting because the first you think doesn't. We do find out later that something happened to Dasong in his. Well, he can't have been one because he's not one when he's eating the cake, but whatever. Mm. Um but, yeah, she guesses so specifically that something happened at, during that time frame. She and just I, guesses there's, is there some past trauma. And I yeah. think she's taken a shot in the dark. And I think maybe most parents would think there's been some... Yes. She doesn't, though. She does specifically, as Vicky said. She says, did something happen in the first year? Which clearly isn't the trauma with the cake, because he's about four years old when the ghost appears. So no, I'm really confused, because I, I thought it was the ghost. Yeah, so did I. Unless she means the first year they were living in the house, unless it's suitably vague in that respect. Yeah. Mm. That would make more sense. Mm. So she's got that she gets the job at a much higher rate, and then uh, the chauffeur drives her to the station and she takes off her knickers in the car. She does. Which is all a bit confusing at first until you realise she's setting a trap for him. Yeah, but this is why it's good as well, because she you want her um, to be, as she's playing the part of Jessica, to be a bad one because she's a con artist. But they do set up that the chauffeur is a little bit hitting on her. Like he, he's yeah. not listening to him when she's asking him to drop her at the station. Mm. But it just it just pulls back enough that it's not like, oh, he totally deserves it because he like makes a move. And she's not totally bad because she invents this scenario. Yeah. It's just right in the middle. It's this grey area that you can you can see either way. But it's interesting that with each family member joining, it's just a bit darker what they're doing yeah. to get in that position. But I think throughout the film, and this is one of the best things about Parasite, is this grey area that every character inhabits and the fact that it plays with your allegiances in a way that a film I haven't watched in a long time does. Like, again, because it's so well written, you can at one point be going... Uh, this is, for example, the housekeeper. This is horrible. What's happening to the housekeeper? This poor, sympathetic character. Cut to the next scene. You're like, she's an evil bitch. And I hate her. And you're constantly, the underdog shifts so rapidly that you're constantly changing who you're like supporting. Yeah. So the, the chauffeur gets sacked and she uh, Jessica suggests a mild-mannered man. She knows that's her father. He's in now. And as Alex said, uh, the housekeeper is next on their list and they utilise her peach allergy uh, to convince the parks that she has TB, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, and it's feeling like, I felt like at this point, it's like a fun crime caper. It's almost like mm-hmm. a Korean Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. Um, but then you see her get laid off and it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sort of feel like, oh, are these people on a slippery slope here? Like, we like this family, but what they're doing, you can't keep um, laughing along with them. And that resonated more with me on this second view than it did the first time. This idea that it's quite dark what's happening, and Mm. I disliked the family a lot more this time around. Mm. Maybe because you know where it ends as well. Mm. You're coming in with that information. But I I agree, I I felt a bit differently this time watching it. Um, the kid, uh, the park kid, can smell them. He that's... spots that they all have the same smell, which is a theme that we'll return to. But that's I thought you'd love that. Yeah, I do because you know you love like the idea of, uh, as you've said before on the show, this idea of finding a different way to do the same thing. Yeah, and so the re- you know you want to make that connection that the kid finds out that these people all know each other. I would. That's such a nice twist on it, the smell. Yeah. I've not seen that before. And yeah. whenever you see something for the first time, you're like, that's really great. And it is recognisable to your own life. Like if, if when you've got no money and your house smells a certain way, you know that it's on you. So you get what uh, Dasong is talking about, but also he's dismissed because he's a child. So it works enough in that moment. And then it builds and builds and builds until here is a man who could not take it anymore kind of thing. It's really good. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going on a camping trip. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Join us on the Football Ramble as we explore the ridiculous world of football. We bring in-depth analysis of the biggest moments, like Bruno Fernandes' one-eyed penalties. Sounds like a Metallica song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> obviously, like... with one eye open. <laughs> but if you have one eye closed, you know your perception. So imagine yeah. if you tried the dink and it just like went like two feet in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Every weekday, we cover the good, the bad, and the Newcastle. Although Shelby wasn't surprised either. He said the way they play isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't fucking beat him, could you? Could Shelby be the mole? Didn't Bruce accuse the mole of treason? <laughs> to the Geordie Nation. Yeah. Putting the football world to rights. If you want to put a message on a t-shirt under your shirt, slag it off your mind. Yeah. That is an absolute minefield in the dressing room. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, lads, I'll put it in another language. Do you know how many languages that man speaks? Not with Roy. (laughs) We're We're here with the biggest stories from the sport we love, and we want you to get involved too. Search the Football Ramble on your favourite podcast player to listen now. This was a Stakhanov production. And we're back. So the parks, um, everyone's in situ now, and the parks head off on a camping trip. Um, and our family take the opportunity to get together in the house and get pissed. <laughs> I found it so stressful. I so loved, did I! Yeah, it's really stressful. Well, it's a very stupid thing to do. Um, I know this because a friend of mine uh, did this at a TV star's house that she lived in. She was the live-in nanny for one of the Chuckle Brothers. Shut up. <laughs> and they went away and she raided their drinks cabinet Did and they go drank. on holiday together? Um they were off on some trip. I don't know. I don't the know brothers what the context. Together. I don't know if they were together. She was only living with one of the chuckles. When they but were they're very close. Their tent, was it like, you know what I'm gonna say? <laughs> but she raided the drinks cabinet and, and got pissed, drank everything, and they got home and it all the booze was gone and she got in trouble. I mean this is the opposite of a perfect crime. What did she expect was going to happen? What did, these, what did these guys expect was going to happen? Wow. Yeah, she, she didn't replace sacked. it. I don't think she did because they found out. Well, maybe she replaced it, but they figured it out and she got sacked by, by I don't know if it was Barry or Paul Chuckle, but it was one, one of them. <laughs> Bloody yeah. hell. You wouldn't be able to take it seriously. Like, I'm going to have to let you go. No. <laughs> 
that would ruin the Chuckle Brothers for you. It you'd never, would, yeah. you'd never be able to watch Chuckle Vision again, no. like with the same joy, knowing that they'd sacked you. No. I, because of that, because of her, in 1997, when I was at uni in York, I drank whiskey with Barry and Paul um, before lunch one day at like 11 in the morning. Wow. It was amazing. <laughs> I went backstage to meet them and uh, uh, for, before a matinee show and they were getting pissed with whiskey and I just joined in. <laughs> Good times. Um, so back to our family. They, they're sort of sitting there looking out the window and it's all lovely greens and whiskey. blue. Whiskey? Who drinks whiskey before a matinee show? Barry and Paul Chuckle did in 1997. <laughs> FA Cup final day, I remember it well. And I was with Danny Grimes. Well, Grimes callback. Yep. Uh, um, I was going to say the view out of the window is kind of the opposite of what, <clears throat> what they could see. It's the most stunning view you can imagine. And that's interesting if you look at the behind the scenes. None of that stuff's there. This was all done in a studio and that's all green screen everything. The so screen. the house isn't real? Uh, the lower level is real the upper level isn't and and everything around it all a lot of the trees and the sky and everything is all green screened it's really weird when you look at it um when it's not got the effects on it so they ha- they start arguing with each other the family when they're pissed yeah uh, they start to worry about the previous driver about how they're you know it's the first time they sort of acknowledge <clears throat> that their actions might affect others well, only uh, the father does. Sure, no, and the daughter says, "Let's just focus on ourselves." Yeah. She's she's she knows what she wants. Um, the wife compares them to cockroaches in this scene, saying that they if the, if the um, parks arrived home, they would run a scatter like cockroaches. She, no, she says the father specifically yeah. would, not not all of them. So that's why he does that fake anger thing and grabs her, which is quite scary for yeah. a moment. Yeah, yeah he, but that's I thought like. I'd love to know more about them because who does that in front of your kids like for a wheeze? Like how is that a family joke where he's like, I'm going to sh- like slap your mum? It's like, that's really scary. And then she's like, oh, I got you. And to me, it's a play on. So they're talking about the park saying they are nice because they're rich. And if I was rich, I'd be nice. Mm. But it, what it does is play on that expectation that when you're poor, so your pride takes a bashing, your dignity takes a bashing all the time and you turn on the person closest to you, like often your wife or your kids or whatever. And they play that up like I've had enough. And the daddy's like, I've had enough of this. Stop talking to me like that. And there you are. You're like, oh my God, you are those people. You're poor and you're angry about it. And then they're like, no, we're fine. We're just fucking with you. But <laughs> it's I wonder, brilliant. I wonder whether he was angry. I agree. Because he smashed. I mean... To fake, like, sort of threatening someone and grabbing their T-shirt is, is one thing, but he smashes all the bottles and the plates, and that is that is an outburst of anger well, and, that he then turns into a joke because yeah, he gathers she himself. She knows, like, Chung Suk knows. I, to me, it was like a double act. I don't know that she knows. I just don't think she's scared. No, she's not scared. Doesn't she say to well, him, if you, ever, if you ever did that to me, I'd she, actually She was you. a shot put sort of champion. She's, yeah. They make clear that she's, a, she's tougher than him. I think potentially, though... It is real, that burst of anger, because of what we see him do later in the film. Mm. This yeah. is just rising and rising in him. This is the first time it rises in him. Mm. And he's a changed man from this, you know, this sequence onwards. Yep. Because we're coming to the twist. Uh, the housekeeper knocks at the door because she forgot something in the basement. Who did she forget? Her husband. <laughs> <laughs> because he's in a, in a bunker, which the rich built um, uh, in case there was a war, a nuclear war. Potentially, because the the shadow of, of of North Korea sort of hangs over this film, um, as it does a lot of uh, Bong's films. Uh, but yeah, her husband has been stuck down there for four years, three months, and seventeen days because his his shop went bust and he's hiding from loan sharks. And so this kind of shows us that this family's been feeling sorry for themselves, but there's always someone below you, and that's this family. And and now our family have someone else to look down upon, literally and metaphorically, because they're even further down Mm. physically. Uh, But then the tables turn because the family give themselves away uh, and and suddenly the old housekeeper has video evidence against them, what what they call a nuclear missile to be used against this wicked family. And so our families judge the housekeeper the old housekeeper, and now she starts judging them for the way they disrespected the house. Mm. And we sort of see them through her eyes. And they have a big fight. They bring out the peaches. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) But it's also, it's funny, but it's also tragic because it's the poor fighting the poor, which is what this film, the kind of message this film is that we... We should all just get along. This is this is making things worse if we can't figure out our own problems. It's not, yeah, it's that, but it's uh, the competition is fiercest at the bottom where the resources are the most scarce. Mm. So that's why the fights are more brutal than they would be higher up, kind of thing. If my 
wife knew that I'd been locked in a cellar and I'd had no food for three days and she finally turned up to rescue me, <laughs> I wouldn't want <clears throat> a bottle of liquid. I'd want a sandwich or yeah. something solid. And I've, you know it's in a baby's bottle as well. Yeah, I think that's him. intentional, need, yeah, obviously. You, like, he is a, a baby, baby to her. He just needs looking after. He provides nothing. But yeah. the lack of water is going to kill you before the lack of food. That's true. So water first, then a nibble. Then a Thanks, Bear Grylls. <laughs> uh, and the park's come home now. Uh, they're eight minutes away. They phone ahead and, and uh, mum's got to make some ram dom. Uh, the, oh, it's fucking delicious. <laughs> it does. They start hiding all around the family. And then in, in the sh- most shocking moment in the film, up until this point, she kicks the <laughs> housekeeper down the stairs so casually. <laughs> it's brilliant. She just flicks her. She's just like, back. It's brilliant. She doesn't even look at her. She, nope. kicks, she kicks from behind. So good. Roundhouse. Uh, we learn about the kid's trauma, that he saw a ghost when he was young, but we know that it was uh, the gentleman in the basement. Yeah, filmed slightly differently. Like, it looks scary. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> there is a small part of me that wanted this to then become a horror movie because that is a ghost and I like ghosts. Or a vampire. And or, we, get, vampire. we get quite a sad scene downstairs of the two, the two men, the two dads sort of speaking and, and, and the housekeeper's husband saying that he feels at home down there. He doesn't want more. This is where he belongs. And it's just love that will get him through. It's quite a tragic, a tragic moment, and 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 we're seeing the change. I think in the dad here, um, he's he's starting that that he, he he they end up hiding under the t- the kitchen. The, sorry, the living room table when the family's at home, and they can hear what the Parks are saying about them. And Mister Kim says he smells like an old radish, um, or when you boil a rag, and <laughs> says his smell crosses the line. And you can see it on his face. There's there's good face acting here. Great face acting. That his pride is dented and he feels humiliated and he feels shame. He's sort of being dehumanised and and something snaps inside him at this point. Uh, so they manage to escape from the house uh, only to find uh, their own house flooded. And for this, uh, Bong built an entire neighbourhood entire neighbourhood in a water tank so he could flood it. So that's hmm. it's quite an impressive effect uh, how they got that. They managed to escape... But they end up sleeping in a gym, and this is sort of the, the whole tone of the film seems to have changed now, from sort of comedy to I don't know what it was in the house when they were fighting, sort of action and abroad. It's now sort of full blown tragedy when you realise they've they've kind of lost everything, and the dad seems broken. He 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 had a plan, and now he's got no plan. Um, they talk about nothing mattering, whether you betray your country or kill someone, nothing really matters. Do you think? Do you think the father at this point? Is broken. I think he. I think it's the son who's broken <clears throat> because he was invested in being part of this family and maybe had started to see his life working out differently. Now he was involved with this family, always questioning, you know, his status in the world. Whereas the dad is a bit like, you know, the problem is he had a plan. Don't plan for anything. It's almost like he foresaw this happening and is like, mm. I don't plan. You know, the world life doesn't have a plan. So, you know, just relax. I think he is a bit more broken than that because his kids ask him, what's the plan? And he says to the housekeeper's husband, you have no plan. And that he's, um, he judges him for that. And then his kids say to him when they're running down the steps, what's the plan? And he's like, like he sort of says, oh, don't worry, I've got a plan. But I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I've got one, which is the right thing for a dad to say to his kids because they're obviously worried but then to confess that you don't have anything to your young son, you've gone somewhere else, that like you need to keep lying to your mm. kids all the time uh, to make sure they're all right. So when he fesses up, it's a really dark moment because that would scare uh, Kiwu a lot because your dad, you can't rely on him anymore. And that's terrifying. And, and he's gone from smiling for the first hour of the movie. <clears throat> he doesn't smile again in the film. That's gone. That, yeah. that Whatever joy was in him. And he was a, such a joyful character. Mm. I, I think that's where he's broken, and it's sort of this realization. Although maybe he need, deep down he knew that, but that they can't. Not only can they not escape from their circumstances, they can't escape from <clears> themselves, <throat> and that's where the smell comes in. That that's always going to be with them. So, so now we're on to the finale, which is the birthday bloodbath. <laughs> so uh, the little boy is having a birthday. He's he's going to have his, he's going to have a trauma cake. Which becomes a genuine trauma cake because his ghost literally returned. <laughs> uh, which is something I'd not really thought about the first time I watched it. But yeah, so um, the housekeeper's husband escaped from the basement um, and it all kicks off, basically. Uh, he takes out uh, the son with, a, with the scholar's rock. 
uh, bashes his head in, um, goes outside, and it all happens out there. So, who dies? The Mr. Park gets killed by a man um, because he overhears him saying he can't stand the smell. He can still he, he no, he sees him, can't he? he sees him. He Mr. Park. So bear in mind that Jessica has been stabbed and Mr. Park is like, what are you doing? We need the car. So you're being asked to choose between these children, but obviously one of them is your child and is your child's life suddenly not that important? But then to be fair to Mr. Park, he wouldn't know that. So that's there. But then what pushes Mm. him over the edge is that Mr. Park reacts to the smell from the dead man, Mm. from the housekeeper's husband, and he sees his nose curl up and he's like, that's enough. And so it's a moment of him finding his solidarity with his co person who's fucked as well yeah who has just killed his daughter or stabbed her at this point yeah that's weird yeah that's true but that's not the thing that does it he doesn't kill mr park because this guy's killed his daughter it's the smell and he's like we are all in we are in this together kind of thing you're poor i'm poor so i think yeah no agreed agreed and so yeah it ends in this bloodbath and um we cut to a little time ahead and we find out that uh the mum and son have gone down for a litany of crimes but get suspended sentences because actually their crimes weren't that serious. I guess the mum kicked the <clears throat> housekeeper down the stairs. But they don't know that though. Well it, we don't know what they know and what they don't know, do we? Well presumably because they're not going to volunteer that information. And both the housekeeper and her husband are dead. Mm. So I don't think if you're on trial for all various crimes, you're going to go, also, I did kick a woman down the <laughs> stairs without even looking at her. Alex, honesty is the best policy. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to hold your hands up at some point. Uh, we find out the sister died, which is really sad. And they say the dad knew where he needed to go, where he now belongs, lower than where he started. So he ends up in the basement hiding out. Uh, And the son um, in a letter says, Dad, today I made a plan. Um, I'm going to earn money, a lot of it. I'll buy that house. All you need to do is walk up the stairs. And we see that image happening. But then in reality, we realise he's dreaming um, from the original semi-basement that he's still sitting in. Yeah, and that's the bit where... My like love for a happy ending kicks in. I'm like, yeah, me too. I don't want to see him back in the basement. I'm happy with the f- end on the fantastical thing and maybe even leave us going. But was he thinking about, was he dreaming? Was it reality? Yeah, Are we seeing the future? I'd rather have it open-ended rather than the fucking bleakness of that end. Yeah, his last words are up until, uh, until then, take care so long. So it's up to us, I think, to decide whether he... He doesn't. It's, it's, I mean, there's there's no way he does. I mean, he's failed his entrance exam four times. There's, 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 there's no breadcrumbs that would lead you to believe actually something has happened that this kid is now going to succeed and afford that house and get his father out that way. I think if you'd left it with the fantastical thing, with a bit of a question mark, we could have this conversation. But no, he doesn't ever buy that house. Vicky, what do you think? I agree, yeah. And it's really heartbreaking. And I wish it wasn't like that because mm. I wish it was a happy ending. <laughs> mm. And I think also the dad's line say, which we've just referenced, if you make a plan, life will never work out that way. Ugh. It's him kind of telling us that it's not going to happen. Yep. So the cycle of capitalism and poverty remains. Hooray! <laughs> the end of Parasite. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> uh, so Parasite won the Pandora in Cannes, and then it managed to maintain that award momentum for the best part of nine months, which is no meat feet. Yeah. In the Oscar cycle. I was obviously hosting the coverage of the Oscars and uh, had a panel mm-hmm. on top of the Hotel Roosevelt on I, Hollywood Boulevard. I watched it and very much enjoyed your work. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, it was amazing. It was the first time we'd been to LA and everyone said, after this, we're going to come back every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love. Hey! Uh, but the, a cheer went up from uh, a lot of people mm. on that rooftop when Parasite won because um, it was just so unexpected. Yep. Um, if you do go back to LA and you do, obviously you have a panel... Do you know any people that you regularly do a panel with that you could bring with you? It's all about chemistry with a panel. You really need to. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it won Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, Best International Film and Best Picture, becoming the first non-English language film to do the latter. And it grossed more than $250 million worldwide on a budget of $15 million. Wow. Won $5 million. So, yeah, not bad, Bong. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's do the bits. Vicky, favourite scene? Um, it's the eight minutes to clean up scene. So just when the parks are on the way home, it's like a ballet and it's so stressful watching them try to clean up, but you kind of know it's going to work because the parks won't notice that their house is in a state because they kind of don't notice and they assume a lot. 
So they are, you know, later on when they don't look in the shadows um, to see the family creeping away, there's, there's so much that they don't notice. But it's done brilliantly and it just relieved me of that stress of like, this house is now a shit tip and it's going to be fine. And the look on um, Chung Suk's face when she's like, what the fuck is around on? I think that's so funny. Mm. Where she's like, no problem, no problem. And just all the little callbacks there about, you know, she's forced, she would in theory be asleep at that time, but she's forced to, you know, get out of bed, although she's not in bed, to make this dish that the kid then doesn't even eat. Mm. So she's been brought out of bed for no reason. And then... Just another second moment, which I love so much. When Mr. and Mrs. Parker are on the sofa, they're about to have sex, and Mrs. Parker is like, "Buy me drugs," and I think that's the funniest line I've ever heard in my life. Because <laughs> earlier on, when I knew that car stuff was, I knew they were into it, but they can't even say meth. So when they're talking about the chauffeur and Mr. Parker's like, "I wonder about the girl that left the knickers, like what state she was in," and he's like, "Could have been meth," and she's like, <gasps> "Like can't even say drugs, like it's so." dirty and otherworldly <laughs> and then when she says buy me drugs it's fucking uh, awesome Alex um, so you mentioned obviously uh, the housekeeper being kicked down the stairs uh, by Chung Suk uh, which is really effective I think the other the part that just it's not a nice part but it is where I think his name's Guan Se the housekeeper's husband escapes from the cellar and smashes um, the son over the head with that rock is just that burst of extreme violence is so effective and so horrifying and just, it's a nasty moment, but it's incredibly effective, especially when he's lying on the ground and he's already bleeding from the head and he's passed out and he just picks up the rock again and just drops mm. it Ugh. on his head while he's lying prone. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going for... Uh because of the choreography, the acting and the editing, although I guess maybe there wasn't much editing, uh, the scene in which the housekeeper loses her job where they plant the 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 TB, the blood stains, yeah. I think it's just so brilliantly pulled together and it's so much fun to watch and it's kind of shocking, but you're in on it with them and it's fun and, yeah, I just think it's a brilliant scene. And also, I really want to put hot sauce on a pizza now. Never done it before, but inspired by this film. Alex, what is your most valuable whatever? So, I was, well... I was going to try and work out which of the cast I was going to pick, but I cannot because they are all so incredible in these roles. And it wouldn't, it just, there isn't one, like there are scenes where I'm like, oh, it's, it's the father, the father's the best. And then I know it's the son, it's the daughter. And then I, I just think they're all incredible. So I'm giving it to the man who uh, made this happen because uh, it is just a fantastic movie, which is uh, Bong Joon-ho. He gets my MVW. Good choice, uh, Vicky. Uh, Park Sodam's Ki Jung because... The way that she assimilates to become Jessica, but mm. is really aloof, really, she really is cheeky with it. She doesn't go in, she doesn't try too hard and it works perfectly. And for the scene where when their house is flooded and she goes, that fucking bathroom, it, it gives me horrors, that bathroom so much. <laughs> and when the toilet is like spraying out sewage, I can't cope with that. It's brilliant. And she just finds that packet of cigarettes and she sits down and she has a cigarette and she's like, fuck it. It's really, With the really shit good coming time. out of the toilet, yeah. it's an am that's an amazing image as well. Yeah. How bad is your house at the moment? <laughs> it's pretty bad. We've got like, you, you know the house in Parasite, they talk about the staircase as like the black mouth staircase. Hmm. That's my living room at the moment. We've just got this black mouth. I told you about the chimney. Chimney collapse. And the plastic bag. Yep. So now we've got this plastic sheet and over the chimney gets <gasps> sucked up every so often. <laughs> so you're trying to watch telly at opposite ends of the room because we don't like each other or whatever. And then every so often this like ginormous piece of sheeting gets sucked up. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You need a housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, the house I nearly picked. Yeah. Mm. Um, little touches like there's 10 chairs around the table in the house, which would be enough to feed all the characters. Oh, that's nice. You know, just little touches like that. Yes. Um, but, and I would have had director Bong, but I'm glad you picked him. So I'm going to go for Kang Ho Song because he's such a brilliant actor and he starts out so jolly and optimistic in this film and then Bong spends two hours just breaking him down, which he does. This is their fourth or fifth collaboration. He does it every time to this poor man. <laughs> um, uh, but he's just brilliant at it. So, uh, yeah, and I love their partnership. You know, long may they continue to make films together because I think they're a brilliant duo. Um, change. I'll start with mine because it's not very good. Um, I think the drunk acting is a bit bad when, they, when they're a bit pissed. I think the door, I know you picked her, but I think, yeah. I don't really buy, I, I think she's doing bad drunk acting. She's acting drunk, which you're not supposed to. You try, you're supposed to act sober. <laughs> That's what drunk acting is people try, because drunk people try to act sober. So she's acting drunk. So yeah, I think, I think they needed to do over with uh, that scene. Uh, Alex, 
What would you change? A bit like you. I really struggled to pick one uh, this week. Um, but, and I might be looking too much into this, but it's, it's when Chung Sook kicks the beagle puppy when they're all having a little drunken party and the dog wanders over her and she boots it away. Uh, now, I just wonder whether... There is an insinuation here because the rich mother about two scenes ago has been talking about how important the dogs are. They need special food. This one needs special food. It wants to be on walked on the long leash. And I just don't know whether they're suggesting because it happens so soon that she kicks it after that, that because the family have little money and have been into their own survival and living hand to mouth for so long, they don't have time for dogs and that the fussing and putting your dog on a pedestal is something exclusive to people who have money and time and are rich. And I don't know if the film is trying to make that comparison, that that is why she just boots it away without another thought. But if it is, I think that's a bit of a stretch, the idea that if you don't have a lot of money, you're less inclined to look after a pet or put a pet on a pedestal, because I think that is a universal theme. Okay. Vicky? Um, Why, do you not let you... Yeah, I know I, I know I wasn't going to be um snarky. I was just thinking, yeah, I think you're right. Cuz they do pull away, the filmmakers pull away from saying the poor people, they've all, you know, they love their kids. They've got nothing but they love their kids cuz there's always a temptation that oh, we're poor but we love each other and rich people are cold and aloof because they've got too much money and they don't connect emotionally anymore. But they do love their kids, Mr. and Mrs. Park, mm. and they do kind of love each other in their own way. Um, so, it, yeah, it doesn't do that. Yeah, so, okay. I mean, I wasn't expecting you to pick that, but I see what you're saying. You, you weren't expecting me to pick the one moment in a film where an animal it's is weird. in any way hurt. Your I mean, favourite bit, Vicky, surely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I noticed, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't read what you're saying into it at all. Yeah, but... dogs are annoying and they're trying to get pissed. <laughs> so go away, dog. I think it's why. <laughs> I mean, I want to consider you as an anomaly. Uh, <laughs> I really hope you're uh, in a minority. But, but that does have that does take place when we're dealing with the family's selfishness as well, and it's sort of it's sort of being talked about. So it's just another way of showing them as being quite selfish people as well, maybe. Yeah. Um, my change is I'd like to, unless I missed it. I want to know what happens to Mrs. Park after her husband is killed. Mm-hmm. Because I was really into her as a character. Mm-hmm. Like, that she that she lords her son as a genius, even though he's just a bit of a brat. And that she uh, is this, she's sort of in a trance state for quite a lot of the film. Um, and because I know, just because I'm so hooked up on the buy me drugs line, like, she isn't this sort of um easily shocked like naive kind of woman like she was doing role play with that right so she's capable of that she understands so when her husband her protector her the person bringing in all the money you know she references like the money's quite good at the moment and stuff like that like what happens to her like does she just move on to someone else was it a really great love affair and she really misses her husband or does she panic about her position and just a little shot where it's like this is where she is now but then that might uncut, like undercut the message of the whole film. Yeah, don't, don't you know. prefer that you've got to sort of you can decide that yeah. for yourself? I thought the same thing, but I don't know. I just don't know where you where you'd put that in because by that point where you'd actually reveal what happened to her, you just put it. You put her in the courtroom. Mm. Just one reaction shot mm. where you can sort of understand True. what she's doing now. Yeah, that would work actually. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you should take this up. This writing lot. <laughs> We're done. Right then, we are done. Uh, so that was Parasite. Us was Monday. Yeah, it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Uh, so these were my choices. I get to pick who goes first. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to matter this week, but uh, let's start with you, Christopher. Well, uh, so my main issue with us didn't change on a second watch. You know, which is what we were interested in, you and I, Alex, going into it. And it was what I said on Monday's show, that that big reveal explains too much and not enough. I think you should have left more to the imagination because as it stands, I think the information they gave us raises way too many questions and I found that frustrating. Uh, With Parasite, I love watching it pass through the genres, making all its points without being preachy. And I'm glad, what I will say, I'm really glad I watched it with a huge audience because Parasite is really fun. It plays like gangbusters to a big crowd. Um, so it's easy for this week for me, 100% Parasite. One for Parasite, Victoria. 
Uh, so I think they both look gorgeous. I think they both made me laugh when I wasn't expecting it. And I think the political messaging in Parasite is actually a bit overblown. Like, I don't need to see people constantly going downstairs to understand that they are uh, socioeconomically worse off than this other family. Uh, but obviously, script-wise, Parasite is like lords sharper and it's all sewn up and it works um, as a contained thing. So Parasite... Two for Parasite. Parasite is the winner for completion. I'd have gone for Parasite as well. It was all about the second viewing for me and knowing what I know about the films from the first viewing, going into them, seeing if there was something different, seeing whether I enjoyed them more. Uh, one of these films I did enjoy a lot more and one of them stayed the same. So Parasite is the winner this week. Congratulations, Parasite. Right then. Looking ahead to next week, Ooh, Oscar season is finished. We get to talk about some other fun movies. <laughs> Chris, you gave us a clue. Remind us what that clue was. The clue was whack a mole. It's great. It's great. So what the movies were doing. So, Vicky, from 1991, you've got Point Break. I'm so excited. <laughs> which is... Shit happens. And Alex, from 2001. Yep. You've got The Fast and The Furious. Hell yes, I That's do. That's the first Fast and Furious movie because it does get confusing with the titles. Yeah, it's the, the first one. And what I will say is uh, Point Break is available on Amazon Prime if you've got that membership. And Fast and Furious is on Sky Cinema at the moment. Lovely stuff. Point Break versus Fast at The Fast and The Furious. The Fast and The Furious. Fast and Furious was number four. So The Fast and The Furious. That is next week. Lovely stuff. Uh, right. Make sure you do your homework. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't joined us on Twitter and Instagram, we are at ClashPod. Please do subscribe to us wherever you get your pods, Apple, Spotify or other. We will be back on Monday talking Point Break. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.